You know I'm recording all of this, right? No, I'm recording this. Because I have to get the mic levels right, and I want to make sure everything's fine. All right. I don't think you have to hit record for that. <laughs> I have to record everything. No. The people want to know how cute you sound. I don't think they do. You ready to go then? Yeah, let's get this over with. <laughs> I love you too, honey. This show will pollute listeners' ears with foul language, occasional sexually explicit content, and more irony than is allowed for single episodes. Last several years, distributors of obscenity have expanded into new areas, employing new technologies and reaching new audiences. Neither our constitution, our courts, our people, nor our respect for common decency and human suffering will allow this trafficking in obscene material. Cinema psyops, which exploits women and men alike, to continue. Sharing filth-laden desires on mic to warp the brains of listeners until they are all demented deviants. Federal laws are being violated, and thus I am committed to redoubling the federal effort to ensure that those criminal elements who are trafficking in obscenity are pursued with a vengeance and prosecuted to the hill. The fact that society is becoming much more open now, less repressed, and I think there's less need for cinema psyops. Without dignity, they shout into the void in a vain attempt to be loved. Living in this culture now where there's just icebergs of filth floating through every house on Wi-Fi, it's inconceivable what it must be like to be a young adolescent now with this kind of access to cinema psyops. And it must be oh, dizzying and exciting, but corrupting in a way that we can't even think about. A pirate ship with a tattered flag, sailing across seas of questionable movies while firing cannons of disdain. Cinema Psyops. Long may she sail. Hello and welcome to Cinema Psyops. Sitting across from me in the studio, stewing in the stench of Matt's stale farts on the chair is my wife, Bev. Hello. <laughs> Did I get rid of the stench of Matt enough in the office for you at least? Yes, it smells very nice in here. <laughs> nice and flowery. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's just deceptive because I disinfected your mic and then that scent will be wafting forward whenever you talk so you don't have to deal with anything else. Thanks. <laughs> the scent of stale man in the studio. I think I deserve my own theme song now. <laughs> You deserve your own theme song. Yeah. I have to write one for you. Yes. What I normally use on the show is not good enough. You got to have your own. It's nice, but you know, I think you have a little bit different flair. Well, this one is different than the last time you were on because you haven't been on since year three ended. That's true. (laughs) I know it sounded different, but it's not for me. So, you know. You need your own theme song? Yes. It's Bev. (laughs) It's Bev. Everybody get excited. Yeah. It's Bev. <laughs> there, there you go. Thanks. Perfect. <laughs> you know what I'm going to do with that now, right? I know. <laughs> Uh, so thanks very much for spending your Christmas day with me in the studio. Yeah, you're welcome. Although that's Merry due... Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas to you too, but that's due to your own procrastination. You've been putting this off and putting this off and pushing it until you couldn't avoid it anymore. I could have pushed it for tomorrow. I really, really tried. <laughs> no, I don't think I would have let you. We yeah. had to get this done because I got to start editing it tomorrow because it's Christmas Day. It's Tuesday. That's way later than what I normally like to record. I know. And I still have to get an episode out by Sunday. Technically, this is your fault because you didn't have anything done. <laughs> 
<laughs> Technically, this yeah, is my fault. Saturday. You were supposed to. No, it was Sunday. <laughs> well, I got a phone call that delayed me from being able to do it. A friend of mine called me and we ended up chatting that night when I was supposed to be working on it. Oh, so it wasn't my fault. Monday night when we were going to be doing it, you delayed it and delayed it and delayed it until we had to go over to your sister's. So <laughs> you wanted to watch more of The Lord of the Rings and you didn't want to you didn't want to get up and come downstairs to the cold, cold office. Liar. <laughs> All right, get on with it. Yes, get on with it. All right, so we are talking about the Frighteners in our long-awaited return to the couples therapy theme where we talk together about a movie. And is there a particular reason why we chose Frighteners? Do you remember? Um, I don't know. It's one of my favorites. It's one that you definitely request to watch quite a bit. Like when I first got the DVD of this, I thought you were going to wear it out as much as you wanted to watch it. Yeah. And that was ages and ages ago. I was trying to think about that when we were watching it, like why I love this movie so much. And I don't know, just it's really well done and still holds up. I don't know. Okay. Well, I know that we have probably been watching this together. It's another one of those movies that we've been watching together pretty much as long as we've been a couple because I had a VHS of this that I dubbed off of like stars or something like that that we even watched when we were together in college. Yeah. <laughs> we watched it pretty regularly then too. The right kind of horror mixed with comedy. Oh, you know why that is? The director? Well, that's part of it, Peter Jackson. But yeah. the original idea for this movie came from Tales from the Crypt, the TV show. Oh, okay. Well, it was going sense. to be a Tales from the Crypt episode and then they expanded it out into a full-fledged movie. And that's why it turned out the way that it is now and it's all crazy and, you know, a little bit comedic, a little bit dark in tone and all of that. Yeah. But I mean, Peter Jackson probably has more to do with the way that it turned out with the tone than the actual fact that it was going to be a Tales from the Crypt TV show that got turned into a movie. There's a couple of them. One of the other ones is actually one of your favorite movies too that you love, Death Becomes Her. Oh, yeah. That was another one that I think was supposed to be a Tales from the Crypt episode that ended up becoming a movie as well. Yeah, I guess they have the kind of same feel a little bit. And same tone, yeah. Yeah. Which is why we enjoyed watching that one together. Yeah, It'd we been... just watched that last month. Yeah, because uh, I think you had talked about how you hadn't seen it in a while and I was looking over the prices and stuff and I just ended up buying a digital copy of it because that was the easiest route to go and I think that was the least expensive route to go and then we watched it and I ended up having a hell of a lot more fun than what I thought I was going to. And We kind of toyed with the idea of recording an episode on it but we had already watched it so we were like nah, we'll wait. Yeah. Maybe next year or something, we'll see. All right. well I'm delaying your Christmas dinner so I'm going to try and get through this episode as efficiently as possible so let's not dilly-dally too much we have enough little intro talk now. Okay. You think you've had enough of me? Yes. <laughs> Let's get on with it. Yes! Get on with it! We're going to take a little break here. We're going to play a promo for another podcast. We're going to have a little bit of music from The Frighteners. It's actually featured in the movie. When we come back, we will have the trailer. This will keep you quiet. Oh, hi there. I didn't see you. You caught me cutting a new show. I'm Bo Ransdell, and I'm one of the many creators you can find on Legion Podcasts. I said quiet! My fellow podcasters and I work hard to bring you the best in horror podcasting, but that comes at a cost. What's that like to live deliciously? Not that, but also, yes. No, what I'm getting at is that there are server costs, costs for good microphones and software for editing, all the things that make our shows, you know, fun to listen to. And you can help. If you're enjoying the shows on legionpodcasts.com or in the Legion Network available on iTunes and Stitcher, just about anywhere you can download a podcast, really, you can help us out and get a little something for your trouble at patreon.com forward slash legionpodcasts. For just two bucks a month, you get a pair of movie commentaries exclusive to Patreon, and for five dollars, you can also join us for a monthly screening of a movie. 
All of that available on patreon.com forward slash legion podcasts. We appreciate it and thank you for listening. Now, back to the cutting room. featured in the movie by any chance at all no i was trying to like i didn't recognize it at first just that part that don't you remember told me you love me baby it's in the movie that part yeah when dammers is in the car with her and he starts blaring the music out of the radio oh okay to try and drown out lucy screaming because it makes him feel a little weird and like he gets sick from it yeah that's the song that he's blaring sonic youth gotcha (laughs) (laughs) which coincidentally sometimes has been known to make me vomit I like how you smile and you shake your head, but you won't admit it or say it on like on the record so it gets recorded. Nope. <laughs> well, you know what will get recorded instead then, honey? No, what? This trailer. There has been a destructive force unleashed on this town such as I have never seen. Oh my God, I don't believe this is not happening. We have got a poltergeist. Okay, well, folks, I can do a clearance, but it's not going to be cheap. Although I do offer a six-month guarantee. That fellow takes us totally for granted. Hey, Stuart, in or out, huh? Frank Bannister had a remarkable ability. Psychic investigator? To communicate with the dead. You, you could see spirits? Emanations are normally confined at the cemetery. You cannot push spirits around! Although they do escape. And an uncanny knack. We're gonna scare the living daylights out of your parents. <laughs> for making a profit off the living. We're supposed to be his business partners. Everyone says that you're a fraud, but I've seen what you can do. Give it up, Frank. Death ain't no way to make a living. But now, some things put the fear of death in the living. What is happening to me? And send the dead running for their lives. I've seen a figure in a cape. That was the soul collector. When your number's up, that's it. Frank, we got problems. All these murders that have been going on in Fairwater, they're going to pin them on you. From Universal Pictures and Robert Zemeckis. You're next, pal. 
and acclaimed director Peter Jackson. You don't stop till the screaming starts, you did. The Frighteners. Wow, even the freaking trailer had that bassy ass soundtrack that destroys your surround sounds if you're not careful. Yeah, I thought the house was coming down. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, when the tunnel of light opens up, it was shaking stuff off the walls and everything. <laughs> I had to go in and change everything and turn off the subwoofer. All right, so the film opens up with a ghost chasing down D. Wallace, the mother from E.T., and attacking her throughout this humongous and very dilapidated kind of falling apart house. He's using carpets. He's using paintings. This ghost thing is jumping around and strangling her and attacking her. Her mother states that she is, quote unquote, too young and that the sins of the flesh will ruin her. Uh, Dee Wallace's, like, character in this has got to be at least in her 50s. I think so? Well, yeah. I mean, you know, what happens earlier on in the movie is supposed to take place at, like, the early part of the 60s or the late part of the 50s. And this is in 1995, 97, I think this comes out. So we're talking like 30 some odd years later. If she was only 15 when that happened, almost 30 years later, she would be in her late 40s. Oh, okay. So if the sins of the flesh will ruin you in your late 40s, we all screwed. (laughs) (laughs) That's all I'm saying. (laughs) Well, anyway, whatever that is supposed to mean. Then she gets her hand cut by a broken plate while ever this thing is terrorizing her. And then mom shoots the ghost carpet thing and we get to see it flying out. And it's just like this weird, like spectral ghostly being thing. And they cut from that to our very first clip. The mystery heart condition that has killed over 30 people in less than four years has claimed another victim. Doctors are baffled as to why seemingly fit and healthy people are suffering massive heart attacks. Many of Fairwater's residents are claiming that the shadow of death has once again descended on the town. What's this shadow of death stuff? I don't like it. It's what they're saying, Miss Reese Jones. There's a lot of scared people out there. For decades, the name Fairwater has been synonymous with death, following the infamous 1964 Bradley Bartlett murder spree. Thirty years later, as the death toll steadily rises, it appears the Grim Reaper has once again returned to the quiet streets of Fairwater. Oh no, Steve. I asked for a new act. Now, give me something fresh. I want to see the human face of this tragedy. Get out there. Talk to the families. I want to know how this thing has impacted on the local community. Yes, Miss Reese jones And Steve, no more references to death as a person. Okay, so it's 1964. We heard that in the clip. 1964. And if this movie takes place in the time frame that it was shot in, in the 90s, that's at least 30 years. And if she was barely even 15 when she fell in love with the guy, she'd be 44 or 45 by the time the mother drops a line about her being too young and the sins of the flesh will ruin her. Okay. Because if that's the case, you and I ruined. (laughs) That's all I'm saying. I just always, I just thought that was weird. Like, why deliver that line now? (laughs) What does that have to do with anything? I know her mom's crazy. Well, yeah, you would be too if you had to deal with (laughs) D. Wallace's character the whole way through this. Yeah. All right. So after the clip, we see Frank handing out his business cards at a funeral, kind of a scumbag right off the bat. And then he drives off down a road way too windy to be anywhere in America. They filmed this in New Zealand. It was pretty obvious just looking at the roads and the, oh, did they? Did the shoreline. You couldn't tell? Uh-uh. There's no part in America that looks like that. Nobody would just deal with windy roads like that in America. Uh, I think you're wrong. <laughs> you think I'm wrong? Yeah. Okay. The way that he's driving down there, he actually ends up going over grass and off the hills and just cuts turns and stuff like that instead of going down them. Yeah, he's a horrible driver. Yeah, you mentioned that. Like, that's one of the things that you mentioned while we're watching this is that you think he's probably the worst driver you've seen in a movie in a long time. Yeah. I think you even asked that while he's doing that and he goes to reach for his cards. You're like, why is he such a bad driver? (laughs) I'm like, I don't know. I think they just made him that way. But he 
does. He reaches for some of his cards on the passenger side seat that are starting to fall, which he's very distracted by, and he's not looking about where he's going when he reaches for them when they hit the floor, falling off the passenger seat. And then he almost hits what looks like a log truck and then basically careens out of control, then starts spinning out of the way and then ends up coming to rest after hitting a fence and driving right through it into someone's front yard and basically wrecking their front lawn. And because the person has such a freak out about that, that's also our next clip. Oh my God. Oh my God. Oh my God. I don't believe this. This is not happening. My lawn, you, you ruptured my lawn. Whoa. Hey, don't. Uh, just uh, give me a call. Pay for the damages. You're damn right you're going to pay because I'm going to sue your ass. Let's not get litigious, all right? It's just send me a bill. Frank Bannister, psychic investigator? Right. Well, that's a good one. I can even see the corner coming. Stupid moron. It's goddamn bullshit. Listen, buddy, this is going to cost you big time. You're paying for a new face, you hear me? I want this lawn completely resurfaced. And we're going to talk about a moza. Oh, 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 my bunso. My I got your license plate number, you bastards! This is private property. Oh, Mrs. Bradley? I'm Dr. Linsky. I work at the medical center. No, you don't. I know who works there. I started there three months ago. Dr. Cammons is my personal physician. Yes, well, Dr. Cammons is attending a funeral, and I'm seeing his patients today. Cutting the vegetables, and the knife slipped. Well, a couple of stitches, and she'll be fine. I'll, I'll drive you to the clinic. That's impossible. It's a deep cut. Then leave us some antibiotics. Mother, please. Patricia never leaves the house. It hurts. To your room this instant. Wait just a minute. Who did that to you? I think you better go now, Dr. Linsky. You don't know who my daughter is, do you? Patricia's not to be trusted. I beg your pardon? I can have her locked up anytime I want to. They said she was an accessory after the fact. I know the truth. It was cold-blooded murder. In the space of 27 blood-soaked minutes, 12 innocent people gunned down by hospital orderly John Charles Bartlett. Patients, medical staff, visitors, no one was spared in this madman's rampage through Fairwater Sanatorium. Not even the hospital chapel provided sanctuary as those in prayer were gunned down on their knees. A seemingly senseless crime. Bartlett's motive remains a mystery to this day. Any comments, Johnny? Got me a score 12, sir. That's one more than Starkweather. Six years earlier, Charles Starkweather had murdered 11 people in a Nebraska killing spree. Guess that makes me public enemy number one. 15-year-old Patricia Ann Bradley, daughter of the hospital administrator, was also implicated in the killings. She was madly in love with the psychopath, Bartlett. That's her. I was in her house this afternoon. Well, that's just terrific, honey. We've been in town for three months, and you're making friends with the Manson family. Yeah. 2,200 volts of electricity ended the life of Johnny Bartlett, the unrepentant killer. As they threw the switch, he was heard to scream, I got me a score of 12. Beat that. In what some considered a miscarriage of justice, Patricia Ann Bradley was sentenced to life imprisonment, although it was never proven that she actively participated in the killings. Five years ago, Patricia Bradley was granted a conditional release by the state governor. Today, she lives a reclusive life back in the family home. Should have fried her when they fried Bartlett. She was 15 years old, you know. She just fell in love with the wrong guy. Could happen to anyone. Sweetie, I don't want you going back up there. This gives me the creeps. I really don't think that you should... Come tigers, get a little lonely. Guess what I did tonight, honey? I made reservations at Excalibur! 
Tuesdayers. <laughs> Don't you remember, sweetheart? It's our anniversary. It's Tuesday. I even got our favorite table. Yeah, you silly willy. Hmm? What the hell is this doing here? But I tore this up. Did he come back to the house? Who? That moron that tore up my fence. Okay, so there's a lot of stuff in that particular clip there because I didn't want to go through and describe everything that's taking place. Yeah, that was pretty long. Yeah, including your favorite thing in the whole entire movie. Good blood <laughs> you love the way that she delivers that line. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I kind of noticed in the news clip, it kind of sounded like they were saying barley. Not... It's, it's Bartlett. It is Bartlett, but the way that they're pronouncing it, yeah. It might be the way that I processed it to make it go a little quicker. No, made... I think I noticed it when we were watching it, too. Oh, like, that it says it sounds like they're saying barley instead of Bartlett? Yeah. Yeah, well, it, it was one of those, like, pseudo-crime documentary things that were very exploitative about serial killers and stuff like that, that they probably had them mispronouncing it to be accurate to the way that that those yeah, particular documentaries are, which were all of the rage. You could rent a shitload of those back in the 90s. I don't know if you've noticed or not, but on the cover of the VHS tape that uh, she's looking at with Ray is actually Kate Winslet and uh, the other actress from Peter Jackson's other film, Heavenly Creatures, that was actually based on a real-life killing that was similar to that, where these two girls murder one of their mothers. Uh, I don't know if you've ever seen Heavenly Creatures or not. No. Yeah, but uh, they use them, and it's a pretty famous photo of the two of them that they recreated, and they use them on the cover of it. There's a lot of little winks and nods. Like, the guy who played Ray in this film actually played Elvis in uh, Forrest Gump just before this movie was made. So when the Elvis statue goes floating by, that was a little tongue-in-cheek thing of Elvis floating past him, and he goes, oh, he lives, you know, and that kind of thing. So they did a little bit of stuff like that as well. (laughs) With this, at the very end of the clip, when Ray finds Frank's card, that's when the fake levitation and haunting actually happens, where they lift the bed with Lucy on it, and Ray just kind of huddles in the corner until Lucy screams from the bed, Ray, get me off. Yeah. Not the way that a guy would probably want to hear his wife scream that when she's on the bed. No. (laughs) And then, so he reaches and grabs her and takes her off the bed after, like, cowering below Elvis whenever the Elvis statue flies past, and he says something like he lives or something. And then while Lucy and he are huddled in the corner, a doll comes by and ends up grabbing at Lucy's like nightgown or shirt or something that she's wearing and then Ray very briefly <laughs> beats on it with a pillow. Yeah, that's <laughs> pretty funny. Sometimes when that doll grabs her, you, you do that thing where you react and you're like, Ugh, and then sometimes you laugh. It just depends upon what mood you're in when you're watching it. Yeah, it didn't scare me this time. I don't know. It usually it does horrible. though. That Usually that like Raggedy Ann doll type thing in the movie or just any I, doll really. Well, I think because I know that they're, you know, the ghosts are doing it to it, you know? Yeah, the ghosts so, are the ones that are making that happen. It's not actually coming to life. <laughs> I, think I'm, I think I'm safe. You've seen the movie enough now to where you start picturing that the ghosts are the ones, yeah. like Frank's pals are the ones that are doing this and you know it's pretty much a scam and a prank. Right. Which is really ingenious using actual ghosts to do fake hauntings to basically shake people down for money. Yeah. I wish I could pull that off. And then after the doll is beaten down, Lucy and Ray look to the hallway where they are haunted by the shadow of a poultry geist. <laughs> that was lame, but it was funny where the chicken's walking down the hall with the light yeah. and it's stomping and making all this noise. And it's important to note if you're kind of confused about what the hell some of this stuff is that we're talking about, we are watching the director's cut for this. So there's going to be some added stuff. You may recognize some of it. You may not, depending upon which versions of the film that you've seen. But this is the full-on director's cut, which 
you can get both versions on DVD and Blu-ray. Usually when you buy either of the discs, it comes with both. You just have to choose on the menu which one you want to watch. Lucy ends up calling to Frank's house for help, much to the protests of Ray, who is calling him a con man and saying that they don't need to get involved with this. Why should this guy have to come to the house? He even says something about how the police should be able to handle this. Yeah. Just before one of the ghosts hits him in the head with a pot. (laughs) (laughs) To get him to shut up so she'll call Frank for the money. The more you think about this and when you know what's going on and you go back and watch the movie, it's so much more fun. Yeah, it is. Yeah, because you can see their mischievous ways just trying to do what they're doing. But yeah, Ray definitely is protesting about this because the guy's already destroyed their fence and their lawn and he doesn't want anything to do with them. But then Frank pulls up to deal with this, driving up over the lawn, hitting more of the fence, rupturing more of the lawn and running over more of those precious lawn gnomes. I can't see you shake your head, sweetie. Oh, sorry. Shaking my head. So he just basically wrecks up as much of the house as he possibly can when he arrives. And because I enjoyed that dialogue, not because I'm lazy and I didn't want to write the notes. <gasps> that's my next clip. Persistent residue of the departed. Always a problem this time of year. Dr. Linsky. Oh, yes, thank you, thank you, thank you for coming. The, uh, the activity is currently located where? Uh, well, I don't know. It just went quiet about five minutes ago. Well, quiet? The dining room table spun in a counterclockwise direction. Uh, I don't think that that one happened, no. The toilet seat lid banged up and down. N- no. Did the bed levitate? Yeah, yeah, with me on it. Spontaneous recurrent psychokinesis. Oh, boy. Oh, this could be the worst case I've ever seen. Oh, yeah, this is bad. Okay, well, folks, I can do a clearance, but uh, it's gonna be cheap. Although I do offer a six-month guarantee. How much? $249.95. There is a 30% surcharge for making a house call after midnight. Then there's vehicle, gas, so I'd say the whole thing's gonna set you back somewhere in the neighborhood of $450. (laughs) Although we could forget about defense, call the whole thing even. Okay. Uh, excuse me, ma'am. You want to stand back? I don't want you to have to sign a waiver. Oh, plus 100 bucks for materials. I can't be out of pocket. Just do it for Christ's sakes, Bannister. Here we go. Ready. Yes, I mean, why are they in our house? All I can tell you is emanations are normally confined to the cemetery, although they do escape. It's usually the young ones. For God's sakes, Bannister, come on. Come on, me. It's holy water. This is bullshit. This is total bullshit. Yes. Okay, these belong to you. Six ectoplasmic emanations. Don't worry, they can't escape. Some people like a souvenir. Where would you like me to put them? Oh, no. <laughs> I really don't think we want to hang on to those. So thank you. Do we, hon? I could give a rat's ass. Okay. Don't worry, they can't feel a thing. It says what it says in the book. Never really know for sure. All right. Thank you, Bannister. You can go. What the hell are you staring at? What's with the number? Look, if you're trying to freak me out, it's not going to work, okay? You know what he's trying to do? He's trying to get more money out of us is what he's trying to do. Get your, get your shit. Get the hell out of my house. Come on. Move. Ray, just thank you so much. There you go. Thanks. Thank you. Why do you always have to alienate everybody? I think I'm going to throw up. Man, I hate that trunk. Yeah, well, I don't want you guys spreading your ectoplasmic muck all over my car seat. Oh, ain't that a bitch? The ectoplasm's the only thing sticky enough to hold a damn car together. Look, Frank, I'm sorry about your puss yellow piece of shit Volvo, but we ain't riding in the damn trunk no more. You understand? We would like to cruise with some style, man. You know, you guys left me high and dry tonight. I get to the house, nothing's happening. Couldn't believe it. Hey, Stuart, in or out, huh? You guys didn't even bang the toilet seat lid. You made me look like an asshole. We strained our backs lifting that heavy ass bed, Frank. Oh, yeah, who was the idiot? Who put the number in the guy's forehead? It wasn't funny. Start pulling your weight, guys. You're going back to the cemetery. Yeah, well, you can pull this, Frank. I'm about to go like Jesse on your ass. 
I'ma find me some other black ghosts and then organize a march. The African American Apparition Coalition, the AAAC. And I'ma tell you something, Frank. It ain't nothing worse than a bunch of pissed off brothers that's already dead. Someone help me, please. Stone. Man, you gotta loosen up, man. I'm serious. Come on. Ow. Loosen. Loosen up, okay? You loose? All right. Ow. Uh, ow. Tight, you can play pick up sticks with your butt cheeks. Loosen up. Just pull out a collide. There you go. Damn. That fellow takes us totally for granted. And we're supposed to be his business partners. What a joke. I'm gonna straighten him out. First thing in the morning, he's dealing with a double major here. Well, no more Mr. Nice Guy. I'm gonna get rough. You talking to me, Stuart? No. Stuart, that's your problem. You're too soft with You gotta just walk up to Frank, just look him in the eye and just like, Jimmy, Frank. <laughs> Jimmy, when I want, I'ma bust your ass! Frank, how's it hang? I know, Cyrus, you tell me. Well, Frank, I'll tell you. The women ain't missing nothing. Oh, hey, come on, I told you guys, get the hell out of my morning. Hey, hey, come look, come on, Frank. Hey, look, we wanna call a meeting, man, we gotta wrap. Hey, Cyrus, yeah. I gotta take a leak, and I'm not getting out of the shower. Goodbye. Therefore, a happy ghost is a productive ghost. To that end, I've drawn up a list of suggestions. Now bear in mind, Frank, that we've given you five years of loyal service. Flies. That's what you give me, Stuart. Fly. Why is it that flies stick to you guys like shit to a blank? Ha ha, very funny. You a funny guy, Frank. You know all you think about is yourself. No, I can complain too, you know. I would like some new clothes. You get to dress nice. Here I am still looking like Link from the Mod Squad. You died in a set. a bummer. I think what Cyrus's attempt to say, Frank, is that we don't feel that the Enterprise is evolving in quite the manner in which we all agree. I, please don't reach through me when I'm trying to speak to you. Now, Frank, we gotta talk about cigars. Cigars? Damn right, you've been promising me a box for I don't know how long. Cyrus, I hate to break this to you, but you're dead, you know, you can't smoke. You can light them up and blow the smoke in my face. If I light up a cigar, I'll blow my lunch in your face. Everybody get out! Put the shooters away! That was a headshot, Frank! He could have killed me! You know, if I wanted to get shot at every day, I'd move my black ass to Los Angeles! When a man's jawbone drops off, it's time to reassess the situation. I got myself a nice little grave up there at the cemetery. Could soon be time to lay my bones. No, 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 no. You're my go-to guy without you. I'm out of business, Judge. Frightening. It's a young man's game, Frank. I ain't got no more hauntings left in me. Talking about you're in great shape. My joints are getting powdery. Dogs running away with my face. Hell, I'm falling apart. You've been falling apart for years. Don't go saying nothing to the boys, but uh, my ectoplasm's all dried up. I'm sorry to hear the judge. Give it up, Frank. Death ain't no way to make a living. Yeah, well, Judge, I gotta finish this house. You ain't never gonna finish this house. You ain't never gonna finish nothing. You're fooling yourself, Frank. Too many skeletons in the closet. It's us, Frank. Hey. What do you think? Pretty scary, huh? Ever do that again. See, maybe we should try a white sheet next time. Ain't gonna be no white sheets, bro. Oh. Huh? Morning, Zach. Frank? Okay, you guys want to talk? Let's talk. Let's talk about this. This is a letter from my bank. This says they want $15,000 from me or they're gonna sell my house. Well, cool. About time we ditched this drafty-ass crib and moved to someplace nice with some glass in the- Hey, Cyrus, this is serious shit, okay? This is my house. I'm not losing it. Stuart, the chicken. The chicken was not scary. Stuart, the chicken was stupid. <laughs> Judge. 
Help me out here, okay? Talk to these guys. They look up to you, all right? I need $15,000, guys. I need it quick. It is time to get seriously scared. So you checked the place out, right? Right. When do we got in here? Five. They won't suspect a thing. <laughs> Suckers, they won't even know what hit them. How many exits do? <clears throat> all right, man, this is it. You gotta be hard. No mercy. Going in like professionals, like Charles Bronson. We don't stop till the screaming starts. You dig? I'm with you. Let's go. Yeah. <laughs> Let's kick some ass. Uh, great dialogue in that. That was so long. <laughs> Felt like you were listening to the whole entire movie in one clip. Yeah. Yeah, I know. I got lazy on that one. But there's so much great stuff in all of that. I know. I could have just broke it up into a bunch of different clips and described how they're jumping around in different scenes and everything like that. But, I mean, you get the gist of everything that you need in the last two clips about the whole story basically frank's a con man he's been conning people to try and get money together to keep the house he needs to get more money to be able to save the house but he can't function in society like he used to because he's ghosts and because he can see ghosts he tries to use that to basically drum up business and scam people but he's in too small of a community to really make a difference or to actually get any money so he does it occasionally and he keeps himself warm by chainsawing parts of his own house down and then burning them yeah i think that was something new wasn't it that that was something that was only in the director's cut yeah that he's been chainsawing off parts of his own house and that's the really weird thing about it is like he's living in this house but there's no windows there's no real doors it's just this giant like frame that he threw blankets and other things over top of or pieces of like tarp or whatever and it's like this weird like shanty thing that he's living in and it's just makes no sense for him to be there as far as you can tell because it's just this skeletal structure that isn't even really fully a house and you know you would assume that the weather would get pretty cold so like how can he even survive <laughs> living like that I don't, I don't know it just doesn't really make a whole lot of sense other than the fact that he's just unable to let go of the life that he lost because of what takes place in this film alright so after the long clip that everyone wants to bellyache about in the room over here. Everyone? There's <laughs> someone next to me? <laughs> yes. You can see ghosts too now? <laughs> yeah, just... I, I see dead people. They're all around us. They don't know that they're dead. Oh, no. <laughs> but after this, we see the ghosts use the rich lady's babies to try to scare the living hell out of her and her maid. If I told you that the main baby that was in the bouncy thing that was hanging in the doorway, if I told you that was Peter Jackson's kid, would you be surprised? No, I think I would put my kids in the movie. <laughs> well, and if you look at his face, he, the, the baby looks like a little mini Peter Jackson. He has the same kind of like, you know, the nose and everything. The facial yeah. structure is the same. That's funny. I was really trying to pay attention for it. I was going to tell you that while the scene was happening, but I was just mostly trying to keep you awake while you were watching it. Uh, you're just going to save it for the radio. <laughs> well, yeah, if I tell you that, if I told you then, it would, you know, wouldn't work as well if I tried to tell you on the show because then you'd be like, well, yes, I do know that because you told me that while we were watching it. Whatever and everything. I know. And as the kids are kind of levitated around the room as far as they can tell and then basically tossed on top of mom, one of the babies has a hold of Frank's card. She goes ahead and gives him a quick call after they go flying around the room and scare her. But on the way there, Frank ends up running into another funeral procession and there's some kind of comment about how there are hearses almost every other week running around here and there's no traffic lights in this town. Yeah. That's something that's relatively new because all this stuff with the judge has been cut out usually in the non-director's cut of him driving around with the judge. The judge isn't in it as much. Now, in this 
particular funeral procession, the judge is trying to communicate or make some kind of comment about how this is a serious omen that there's way too many people dying in this town. This is not normal. Frank doesn't really listen to him at all. And then the judge freaks out on him for not listening. So then Frank basically to try and prove his manliness or his character or whatever it is, or basically just to try and get the judge to shut up. He busts up the funeral procession line, which is the biggest dick move you can possibly do. The way that he does it is even worse. Yeah. He cuts in on the funeral procession and he drives, just basically breaks through it, goes up onto the curb, comes around all of the different people in the funeral procession back and forth, driving on the sidewalk, driving on the wrong side of the road, cutting back and forth and cutting off various people in the funeral procession to try and get around them. This man is a fucking menace on this small town. Yeah, you really shouldn't have a license. <laughs> Frank should not be allowed to drive at all. No. <laughs> You're absolutely right. He's on his way to his next scam, but as he arrives at the rich lady's house, he's looking around doing his whole thing about it being spontaneous, uh, psychokinesis, blah, 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 recurrent, whatever. He mis- mixes up the words. He says it one way at uh, Lucy's house, and then he says it a completely different way when he's at this rich lady's house. He just jumbles around the words because he's a scam artist. He doesn't have to worry about being accurate. He just needs to make people believe that he knows what he's talking about. Right. And so while he's looking around through that viewfinder that's like a rangefinder for a camera or whatever it is that he's using, she's holding up a newspaper that is showing that he is in fact a scam artist. And I think that had a typo in it somewhere. I can't remember where, but I think that might have been the newspaper that had the typo. Even if it says that he's a scam artist, your babies are still flying in the air. (laughs) On their own? How do you, yeah. How, How do you work your way around that? Right. Yeah. Technically, Frank isn't just a scam artist. He's an extortionist. He's using ghosts and making people pay him to keep the ghosts from bugging him. And if they don't pay him, he just sends the ghost to bug them some more. Yeah. <laughs> Frank is a piece of shit the more I think about this. He's a real asshole. <laughs> and he's promptly thrown out of the house by this rich lady after she holds up the newspaper article. And because it's been quite a few minutes of screen time and I'm tired of writing notes, that's my next clip. What the hell are you trying to do to me? Praying on the bereaved is about as low as you can go. You're a parasite, Mr. Bannister, and people should be warned. Yeah, well, I get a right to offer my services to the public. In case you hadn't noticed, we are in the midst of a major health crisis. The last thing the people of Fairwater need is some two-bit charlatan promising to pass on bogus messages from the other side. Now, if you will excuse me. I'm just trying to make a living. Living? Not a word you'd know a lot about, is it, Mr. Bannister? Oh, we are, right, buddy. Man, you took quite a fall. Bannister! Yeah? Listen, you gotta help. They're gonna bury me, man. You gotta help. Bannister, what is happening to me? Well, Ray, you appear to be dead. Don't, don't say that. That is impossible. I'm in the prime of my life. I work out every single day. My wife's a goddamn doctor. Why didn't you take the corridor? What corridor? The corridor of light. Passageway to the other side. Because I don't belong on the other side. Jesus Christ, I'm only 29. Right, just relax, all right? Want to tell me what happened? I, I was on the rings, and then suddenly I, I felt this, this, this vice-like rip just squeezing my heart, and I couldn't breathe, right? I just... I couldn't breathe. Oh, I've got the shakes now. I need some vitamin B. Yeah, you can't take vitamins anymore. You don't eat, you don't drink, you don't go to the bathroom. All that shit's over with. In about a year's time, you're gonna get a chance to go through to the other side again to become what's known as a pure spirit. But in the meantime, what's known as an earthbound emanation, which is a rotting cloud of bioplasmic particles dripping ectoplasm from every orifice. Relax. All right, Pastor. Can you at least give me a ride so I don't miss my funeral? Okay, Ray, listen up. Cemetery is not a safe place, all right? So stay close. Later, Bannister. I want to hear what they're saying about me. Don't worry about them. They're not going to hurt you. What in the hell is going on out here? Get back in your grave! 
Ah, oh, son of a... Holy Jesus! Frank Bannister! Go ahead, I'll handle this. What the hell are you doing in my graveyard? You have been told to stay away! Sound off like you've got up here! Yeah, well, it's a public place, Hiles. I do not like you! You cannot bring your spooks in here without my permission! Disappear, scumbag! I am not one of your shitty little emanations, Bannister! You cannot push spirits around! You are scum! Using spooks to put the brighteners on people! That makes me physically ill! We got a lot of lowlifes around here! And I will provide an armed response on the first sign of trouble! They must be contained! Catch you later, Alex. Hey, my tour of duty runs another 85 years! There's a piece of dirt up here with your name on it, Bannister! I'm waiting for you, you little maggot! There were times when people have accused Ray of being less than generous, but I am sure that deep down the man possessed a heart of gold and a generous spirit. It's true. You wouldn't lie. Not at a time like this. Because God has chosen to call our brother Ray from this life to himself, we commit his body to the ground, earth to earth, ashes to ashes. Dust oh, dust. Jesus, what a waste. The Lord bless him and keep it's him. It's a goddamn tragedy. lift up his <laughs> and give him peace. Goodbye, Ray. Oh, sweetheart, don't cry. Oh, shit. Whoa! Frank, I know you can hear me. Get me out of this hole, Bannister. Frank, get me out Hi, of Frank. this hole. Please, Bannister. Hey, Walt. Kind of surprised to see you here on business, I guess. Not exactly. Bannister, they're gonna burn me alive in here! I understand you and Linsky had a little run-in the night before he died. As a matter of fact, apart from his wife, I believe you were the last person to see him alive. Sounds like you're the one who's here on business, huh, Walt? Oh, no, no. The FBI is very concerned about these deaths. They look like heart attacks, but when they slice these people open, their arteries are just clean as a whistle. There's been this tremendous pressure on the heart, like the life has just been crushed right out of it. You got any theories, Frank? What if I pay my last respects before they uh, fill them in? Oh, I'm sorry. All right, so with this, the sheriff sees Frank pull up something from Ray's grave. We know it's taking Ray up out of the grave, but the sheriff actually is starting to get an inclination that maybe Frank is not a complete fraud. Maybe he actually can communicate with the dead, but it seems like the sheriff is a lot more willing and accepting to believe that kind of stuff than other people even in the town. Yeah. And it seems almost like the sheriff may know something more about what's going on or is just way more lenient. So maybe that's why Frank still has a license. Maybe it's because the sheriff is like, well, let him go. His wife just died. I mean, yeah, he's a public menace. He's a freaking extortionist with ghosts, but his wife just died. Let's get cut the guy a break. Yeah. <laughs> or maybe it's just they never really explained that in the plot and they just let it go. Yeah, he's awfully nice to him, so I don't know. Yeah, it's a little weird. You're not really used to seeing small town sheriffs actually be supportive of someone with psychic power. Yeah. Eh, unless you're talking like maybe uh, the Dead Zone TV show versus the Dead Zone movie movie or book. It's been a long time since I've seen that. Yeah, we haven't watched that in like forever. Lucy drops by to talk to Frank and wants to know if Ray has a message for her. She ends up kind of like walking right up to Frank on his way out of the cemetery. And Frank ends up telling her that Ray said that he loves her very much, almost to the point where Lucy pauses for a moment. He waits too long. Lucy pauses and says, you must think I'm a fool or an idiot or something, and then walks off. And I think he does that just because he doesn't want Lucy to be hurt any more than she already is. Yeah. I think this may be the first time Frank actually felt guilty for grifting somebody. Because he's grifting Ray at first, and Ray kind of deserved it. But Lucy is 
really nice to him right off the bat and respectful and believes in him. And he probably feels guilty for what he did. Yeah. <laughs> At least you would hope so. You hope he's not a complete psychopath. <laughs> Uh, they cut away from that to a dinner meeting that takes place at the Excalibur restaurant that we were talking about. This is the one that uh, Ray actually set up for their anniversary dinner with Lucy. And I know we just had one, but that's our next clip. Is, is Ray with us? Yeah. Tell her she looks great. Yeah, he, uh, he says that you look great. Yeah. Tell her they're from me. Oh, those, those are uh, those are from Ray. It's our anniversary. Right. He says it's it's your anniversary. Is, um, is Ray beside me? Sorry. Oh. Greetings. How are you this evening? May I offer you some wine? Uh, I don't know, Lucy. Do you want some uh, red, white? Red. We always have red. Uh, white. I've never been fond of red. Lucy! So you used to be an architect. A long time ago. Oh, can it, Bannister? She doesn't want to hear your life story. Wow. So, so did you build your own house? I mean, you must have a dream home. You could call it a dream home. I'm going to build you a dream home, sweetheart, just as soon as I get on my feet. Yeah. Tell me, why is it that, that you can see Ray and I can't? I was in an accident. <clears throat> car accident about five years ago uh, i don't know they say that sometimes when you have a traumatic experience that it can alter your perception really so after that you, you could just see spirits i mean what happened but you talked to ray huh? that's why i'm here oh finally i'm in the conversation terrific well uh, actually i i do have an important question that i have to ask ray well he can hear you uh, ray i really need to know where you invested my money um the uh 16,000 that I had saved. The attorneys can't seem to find it anywhere. Oh, shit. I blew it on a bad investment. But don't tell her that. I'll think of something. It's gone, Lucy. It's gone. He, he blew it on a bad investment. You asshole! Tell her everything's gonna be okay. I'm gonna look out for her. I'm gonna move back into the house. Tell her that! No. That's not a good idea. The banister, this doesn't concern you. What's Ray saying? What's he saying? Uh, he left. Ray left. He, he said he was he was sorry, but he wanted to leave you alone and let you get on with your life. I swear to God, Bannister, I'm gonna kill you. I can't believe it. I mean, that's, that's just like Ray to just take the money and run. Like, Ray and I haven't been honest with each other in a long time, Mr. Bannister. It, it wasn't what you would call a good marriage. You bitch! I can lose it, Bannister! Man, you better watch your back! I better clean this up. Be right back. Okay, so he goes to clean up in the restroom, and basically what happened there was Ray figured out he could move shit by knocking over a glass of white wine onto Frank. Yeah, that's horrible. Wine. It's white wine, though, so who I cares? Know. Yeah, I care too much. <laughs> Looks as though Ray has been spending the bulk of their relationship being the dominant one, and Lucy went along with a lot of horse shit just because Ray's very insistent and domineering and a pain in the ass. It seems like Lucy's kind of not so sad that Ray's dead. Yeah. She even says at some point, it's not exactly what I would call a good marriage, and that's when he calls her a bitch. Yeah. He seems kind of shocked that she was unhappy, but that she was dropping all sorts of clues. Right. Like that one where she's like, she fell in love with the wrong guy. It can happen to anyone. And then she looks right at him. I mean, yeah. that's a not so subtle clue. Yeah. It seemed like they got married young and things have changed. Yeah. Right? Yeah. yeah. Maybe she fell in love with him and who she thought he was and who he is now is completely different or something. Yeah. You could probably sympathize with that, huh? Cricket, cricket. <laughs> I can put crickets in. <laughs> that's my sign for crickets. <laughs> you just say cricket, cricket yeah, whispers. Cricket, cricket. <laughs> All right, so after attempting to clean up in the bathroom, Frank sees another person with a 38 
carved into his head by some sort of paranormal means. Now, we've seen that Ray had 37, so we're not sure what these numbers mean. We just know that it corresponds with the next person in line to die, and it's counting up. His stare at that particular person's forehead weirds the guy out even further, even though Frank dropping his leg from the sink when he's trying to clean up seemed to kind of make the guy a little uncomfortable. And then Frank ends up seeing a ghost move in the walls of the restroom and towards a stall of some sort. And so Frank does this weird like barrel roll and hides behind the divider area of that particular toilet. Then he opens it up and peeks in. The whole time the guy is just trying to take a fucking leak in the bathroom and just wants to be left alone. Yeah. He's just getting more and more weirded out by Frank's odd behavior of rolling around on a bathroom floor in a public restroom like a weirdo. Can you read your notes? No, I can't read my own handwriting. Thank you. (laughs) Nobody else can either. (laughs) Yeah, I should have been a doctor. So this guy decides to go ahead and try to wash his hands just to get out of the restroom and get away from Frank being a weirdo and scaring him. And as he's washing his hands, that CGI Reaper comes out of the mirror and jams its arm down into the guy's chest, reaching in and just starts making some kind of a squeezing motion. He ends up killing the guy. A tunnel of light opens up, causing the base in the surround sound of our home to shake so violently it ends up knocking stuff off the walls that's the point right there in the movie when we had to go in and manually turn it down whenever that guy's death occurred well the tunnel opens up and it's supposed to be a tunnel of light into the afterlight the tunnel cgi wasn't too bad there's a few things with the reaper that look a little dodgy but mostly the cgi in this film still holds up pretty well the tunnel's fine yeah the tunnel looked great and a lot of the cg effects for the stuff having to do with the tunnel or some of the ghosts and things like that are great it's just the actual like the the Reapers, I don't know, the way the Reaper's cloak hangs, it's very obviously CGI and it just doesn't work for me in a lot of these shots. Well, the guy ends up saying something along the lines of mom or something like that when he looks up into the tunnel. So I guess he sees some loved ones at the other end and then decides to float away. So he takes the tunnel to be at peace and become a pure spirit. Frank runs out of the restaurant to go see what the hell is going on with the Reaper. And then he sees the Reaper flying down a hill towards all of these other houses. I've written plenty of descriptions now and we've gone a little bit further in the story, so that's yet another clip. Looks like another heart attack, but I can't confirm it till the autopsy. Damn. The waiter says he saw this guy coming out of the john five minutes before the body was... And who might that have been? Frank Bannister, who's as white as a sheet shit. Wait a sec. Damn. Hi, Lucy. Lucy. No. Dr. Linsky works for me. We're colleagues. Look, Doc, she's a material witness. All right? Okay. Hey, Walt. Bannister was last seen in the restaurant parking lot. He took off at high speed. (sighs) Bring him in. So your dead husband was having dinner with you at the restaurant. What did he order? Excuse me. Uh, Timmy, front desk. Thank you. Lucy, this is Special Agent Milton Dammers of the FBI. I came by train. I was going to take the flight, but I didn't feel good about the plane. At what time, precisely, did Bannister leave for the bath? You. Uh, I'm not sure. Precisely. Did he use excessive amounts of table salt during his meal? What? Answer the question. For Christ's sakes, it's really late. I can't remember that, okay? What's this? Excuse me, Lucy. I'll be right back. Milton. Sorry, sir. I have a problem with women yelling. Milton, can I get you anything? Sheriff Perry, you are violating my territorial bubble. Lucy, you're still breathing. Would be very easy for a man like Frank Bannister to take a date. You have such closed minds. I can't believe it. I object. Special Agent Dammers has over 20 years experience in the area of paranormal psychology. Much of that was spent undercover with various cults and sects. I, I get all the 
fruity cases, Mrs. Lenski. For God's sake, Milton, would you come inside and sit down? I'm more comfortable standing. Thank you. I really don't see what this has to do with Frank Bannister. Mrs. Linsky, you know nothing about Frank Bannister. You claim he's a bona fide psychic, yet all I've heard is a lot of ill-informed, meandering waffle. On the third day of July, 1990, Frank Bannister, then a successful architect, was overseeing the construction of his new home. Now, the building contractor, Jacob Platts, would later confirm that Bannister had been consuming alcohol that morning. 12.23 p.m. Platts sees Bannister heated argument with his wife, Deb. It appears that Bannister had promised Deborah a garden in the new home, and then, without consulting her, proceeded to lay a four-inch thick concrete slab, creating a basketball court for himself. 12.31 p.m. Platts watches the couple drive away. Bannister kept a toolbox back of his car, and in it was a utility knife with a retractable blade. Bannister purchased seven new blades that morning at Chesson's Hardware Store and Building Supply on the corner of 3rd and Garrett. 3rd and Garrett. 3rd and Garrett. you're mumbling. We can't understand a word you're saying. 12.33 p.m. And their 84 Volvo heads into the hills. It is the last time anyone will see the couple together. Now, by Bannister's own admission, the argument continues to rage, reaching the climactic point when Deborah demands that Bannister stop, pull over, let her out, and at that moment, probably 12.36, 12.37 p.m., the car leaves the road on a sharp curve, presumably because Bannister was driving to that. She was killed. The body was found some 15 yards from the car. Now, Bannister, he was picked up two hours later, wandering in the woods. He claimed to have no recollection of the events that occurred after the accident. But here's the odd thing. Mrs. Linsky's utility knife was missing. To this day, it has not been found. Do you know what was really bizarre? Deborah's corpse had the number 13 carved into its forehead. Unlucky for some. Oh, come on. You're out of your mind. You're talking about a mythical figure. A pseudo-religious icon from the 12th century. Save your pea brain frazzle for the classroom, boy. That was the soul collector. And he's been taking people out since time began. He's going about some dark business here in Fairwater. And we ain't nothing but worm bait. When your number's up, that's it. Okay, so at the very end of this clip that we just played, another tunnel of light opens up over what looks like a museum off in the very far distance. It's right at the end of the conversation where the ghosts are arguing. And so Frank just takes off on his own to investigate, driving once again like a fucking menace to society that he is. And he leaves his ghost team behind. And is it some sort of museum gala that this is taking place? And we see that number 39 is on the victim's head. We actually can see it on the ghost it's carved in, which is the only time the ghost carving shows up on an actual ghost. I think that was a plot contrivance just for convenience sake. Oh, it does? That's it? Yeah, the only time... I mean, the people who had it carved into their heads before they died, that carving is there after they're dead. When it was physically carved in with like a knife or whatever, when they're not pure uh, spirits, so they're just earthbound emanations that were, they were talking about. But this was the first one where it was... Because Ray never has it. Ray should have a 37 on his head the whole time, but he never does. Yeah, but if you notice when Ray was alive, it showed up, but then it kind of disappeared. And then it so, showed up again, and then it yeah. disappeared. Okay. So maybe that's the reason? <laughs> Yeah, but I just think it was a convenient way for us to know that this is the same killer that's still doing this at this particular museum gala. The newspaper lady, Miss Reese Jones, that we were dealing with earlier is actually marked with a number 40, and she's like 
getting all up in Bannister's face and saying, you know, no one needs your con man ways here, Bannister. You know, someone has actually died. We don't need your tricks or whatever. And then Bannister notices the 40 on her head and then says that you're next. He's trying to warn her, but she thinks that he is threatening her. And then she freaks out and has a full-fledged paperclips moment, screaming that he is threatening her. He is threatening her, which escalates as the cops show up and pull guns for absolutely no reason as Frank is not armed. They just pull guns for the sake of pulling guns. And then the Reaper guy shows up just as this happens where the the cops are holding Frank at gunpoint and won't let him move. He goes after Miss Reese Myers, but then the judge shows up and starts blasting the Reaper with his six shooters, having a whole hell of a lot of fun. He's super ecstatic that he still is firing full-fledged bullets. He's not shooting blanks anymore. There's a whole bunch of talk about basically alluding to the fact that he couldn't get it up as a ghost, if you will. Yeah. That's basically what they were alluding to. But he's not firing blanks. His ectoplasm's not all dried up. He's a full-fledged man because he did some killing. And in his ecstasy, he goes to have some necromantic love in a sarcophagus with a mummy. Do you think the ghost was actually there or do you think he was just humping a dead mummy? Probably just dead because afterwards, (laughs) doesn't he say something like... I like like, it when they lie still like that. (laughs) It's totally a necrophilic joke and I think it's hilarious. And kind of gross. Yeah, that's funny. <laughs> Frank ends up tossing an antique statue of some sort at one of the pigs who go on a full fascist shooting spree. They fire like 45 to 46 shots at Frank, never reloading. They're just blowing away everything in sight. And even you mentioned it at this point. You're like, there's people there. There's an innocent crowd. Yeah, people and all the artifacts. Like, <laughs> and he doesn't have a weapon. No, there's no reason for them to be doing this at all other than yeah. their panicky, bumbling, idiot fucking pigs. Yeah. There's no reason for it. (laughs) It's all police, man. (laughs) They're all this bad. You're just going to shake your head. You're not even going to comment. You're like, I don't want to be a part of this court. (laughs) My cop hate. You don't want to have anything to do with it. Plead the fifth. (laughs) That's right, sweetie. You always plead the fifth. Right. Never talk to the police. All they want to do is shoot you. All right, so they're going full flashes, shooting everything, including artwork, artifacts, everything, antiques, anything in the museum. They're destroying mummified cats even. Yeah. At one point, just trying to get it frank, just shooting at everything in sight by like a bunch of panicking, dumbing idiots. Then all of a sudden, a sarcophagus starts sliding out of the crate that it was in and then over to the staircase to lead to the doorway out. And it turns out that it's Frank's ghost pals trying to smuggle him past these crazy-ass fucking cops. The judge then celebrates with a post-coital shootout screaming about how great his ectoplasm is and it's not all dried up and then he is cleaved into by the reaper with his scythe interesting idea for a scythe where it's just the stick until you hit it off the ground and then the blade pops out yeah it's like a switchblade scythe oh boy that's what you want next aren't you? <laughs> you know i want to collect something like that a switchblade scythe that's awesome gosh <laughs> Okay, so he's cleaved in two by the Reaper. Frank knocks out and kidnaps Miss Reese Myers because she's still not believing that he's trying to help her and he's doing everything that he can to save her even though she hates him and he's not very fond of her. And then, typical Frank, he drives off like a fucking menace while our two ghost buds, both Cyrus and... I can't remember the other one's name. I only remember Cyrus right now. Yeah, I can't remember the other one. They are dismantling the cops' cars. Cyrus just leans in and pulls a bunch of wires out of one 
of the cop's car. And then the other ghost just basically lets himself get sucked up into the area and taken clogs up the engine so it won't start so that Frank can get as clean of a getaway as possible. All the while this is happening, though, the cops are still firing at random near crowds and other police officers like fucking idiots. The Reaper ends up landing on top of Frank's car and drives his scythe through the roof of the car. This action triggers a flashback to the day that Bannister lost his wife in, I think, pretty much that same stretch of road because from the flashback, it looks like on Holloway Road, it's the same one, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, you would think so anyway. It's just enough. It's it's close enough anyway of a weird windy road to where he starts the flashback of the day he lost his wife. And I think it's really interesting that the scythe doesn't affect Miss Reese Myers in any way, shape, or form when it goes through the car. And it can go through the car like a ghost scythe. But the minute it touches Frank, because he can see it and he knows it's there, it starts cutting his chin. And he's got that nasty cut on the bottom of his chin for the rest of the movie. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's kind of weird the way the ghost physics work in this film. I still haven't worked it all out. But like sometimes go through the ghosts. Sometimes the stuff the ghosts are throwing at you can hurt you, too. I don't know how that works. And and Frank can even elbow a ghost because he elbows Ray after Ray <laughs> dumps the white wine on him. So that's just weird. The other ghost name is Stuart. Stuart is the other ghost. Okay, thank you, sweetie, for looking that up. Okay, so he ends up crashing off pretty much that same corner that he's crashed on before. The car goes rolling over. And then Miss Reese Myers tries to flee the scene because she's terrified that Frank is trying to kill her still. The Reaper ends up grabbing a hold of her and killing her by crushing her heart. Frank continues to flash back as Reese Myers' ghost crosses over, talking shit to him, telling him that he's a murderer and that he killed her. And then he asks her if it felt good killing her. And then he asks if it felt good killing his wife. So even being dragged into the tunnel of life into what should be a peaceful afterlife for her, she's still talking shit and all about hating on Frank. Yeah. But her ghost thinks that he murdered her, so she won't know until much later. And that was a long amount of notes that I've taken, so it's time for another clip. (laughs) I don't believe you'll get very far. We've got the state line covered. Sheriff Perry, I seriously doubt we will see Mr. Bannister anytime soon. The man is resourceful beyond anything you can comprehend. Hello, Frank. Hi, Walt. Uh, I've come to report that, that Maggie Reese Jones' body is lying near my car. I'll follow it road. Frank, did you have anything to do with her death? Frank! Frank! Are you okay? What happened? What are you doing? Are you arresting him? Please leave, Mrs. Linsky. Frank, Frank, you need a lawyer. Go home, Lucy. But you haven't done anything. He hasn't done anything. You know. You know me? My nice guy, Lucy, because, um... That cozy little scene in the restaurant was uh, bullshit because I, I was doing my job. I don't give a damn about you. I don't give a damn about anybody. What the hell are you saying? Go home. Okay. Lucy, are, are you okay to drive? Yeah. You got a kiss for Honey Bunny? Oh, I know. It's the way I look. It's this damn ectoplasm stuff. Turns you off, doesn't it? Oh, come on, Lucy. You're not listening to me. Oh, look, baby, you know we have a great relationship. It's just that lately, I I don't feel that you've been giving it 100%. There has been a destructive force unleashed on this town such as I have never seen. We have a body count of 28. You're a very dangerous man, Mr. Bannister. Oh, for Christ's sake, you're not seriously suggesting that Frank is responsible for... You're way out of your depth here, Sheriff Perry. Please leave. Frank Bannister is my prisoner. By the power invested in me by the President of the United States, I am telling you to get the hell out of this room. Have you ever heard of Nina Kulagina? March 10, 1970, Nina Kulagina, with the power of her mind, stopped the beat of a frog's heart. 
The record of this experiment is currently held in the files of Professor Gennady Sergeyev of St. Petersburg. And as Sergeyev interpreted this cardiogram, it seemed to him that the heart had experienced a sudden flare-up of electrical activity. The heart imploded, the arteries burst, and all because Nina Kulagina wanted the animal dead. I don't kill people. There's a part of you that believes that. There's another part of you, Frank. That's out of control. Your destructive impulse. I've seen a figure in a cape. I've seen him reach into people's chests and squeeze their hearts. Who was it? Who was it? Death. I can communicate with the other side. I can see spirits. I don't know why. I can't understand it. You think you're quite unique, don't you, Mr. Bannister? But in my business, I deal with your type every other week. This death figure is nothing more than a homicidal alter ego that satisfies your compulsion to kill. No. Every time you want to take somebody out, death figure suddenly appears, does the job for you. It's your rational mind's way of absolving yourself of guilt. No. When you first start seeing spirits, Frank, after Deborah's death, you killed your wife. No. I have studied the coroner's reports of every death in Fairwater since 1985. 28 cases involved crushed hearts. Arteries choked until they burst. That started in 1990 with your beautiful wife, Deborah. She was the first. Ray Linsky. You have an argument with him three hours later? Death. Magdalene Jones. No, you didn't like her. But what about the guy in the toilet? What'd he do to you, Frank? Piss on your hush puppies. Why are you shaking? My, my, my. You're, you're doing it right now, aren't you? You're trying to kill me, right? Well, get it, Bannister. I'm wearing a lead breastplate! We have 28 unexplained deaths here. You know what I think? I think you are involved in each and every one of them. Well, this way. No. Hey, oh. man! Pulling your oh. drawers off? Man, what the hell? Benny? Hey, Benny, but I'm your friend, man. Seriously, three words. Shower with soap. Come on. All right. Let's go. It's all right. Frank. Frank, we got problems. These cats are going to stitch you up on a capital offense. All these murders that have been going on in Fairwater, they're going to pin them on you. Stu and I are going to get you out of here. So come on, man. Let's go. Frank. Frank. Come out of it, man. Wait, no, wait, wait. God. Forget it, Stu. Look at him. He doesn't believe anymore. Nice to have Jeffrey Combs pop up in the clips. I couldn't resist recording Jeffrey Combs talking because you know how much I love Jeffrey Combs from Reanimator <laughs> and everything he's so else he's in. in this. Well, and a lot of the stuff about his character that are super creepy was like his idea, like his Hitler-esque haircut he felt he should have as a character because he felt that his character being so nationalistic after going undercover and all those cults and basically sacrificing himself for his job as an FBI agent that he would start to take on those kind of traits. And I guess some of the scarification and stuff that was on his body from the various cults activity that he was involved in. I guess some of that stuff uh, Jeffrey Combs had a hand in kind of picking out and everything like that. Wow. <laughs> I can't imagine anybody else doing a character like this and making it work but Jeffrey Combs is so ridiculous and over the top and amazing in this. Yeah. Alright, so Frank doesn't believe anymore and so he cannot see the ghosts. This is all new stuff too. There's a lot of this stuff that they kind of been cutting around like all the ghosts walking in and trying to bust them out. It's just new if you haven't seen the director's cut before and 
anyway. And so Dammers is attempting to drive Frank to kill himself. That's his plan. So I'm kind of wondering, is Dammers' character actually a serial killer too? Like anybody he can find a way to try and get someone he thinks is like a psychic or something along those lines he's trying to eliminate? Because he says, I expect this case to suicide before it'll ever go to trial. It always does, meaning that he seems like this is something that he's done before, that he's tried to convince someone to kill themselves or force them to or drove them to that point. I didn't catch that. (laughs) Yeah, it's really creepy and it's really just kind of like this offhand thing. But my thought is they're just trying to get it to the point where Dammers is so fucking wrong about Frank and he's got it so off. He thinks that Frank has the ability to stop people's hearts with his mind and that he's created this whole Reaper character as a way to justify what he's doing and his compulsion to kill. And so he wants Frank to kill himself so that it'll resolve the issue and he thinks he's going to fix it this way. It also feels like Dammers is like a kind of a scathing review of the X-Files because they got away with doing a lot of underhanded shit that they shouldn't have been doing in the X-Files episodes. Oh, maybe. Because he didn't have to fill out a lot of the paperwork that he ended up having people mysteriously die whenever they were monsters and he eliminated them. <laughs> yeah, it does happen a lot, so I'm just kind of wondering if that's what they're going after, too. Who knows? They cut from this to Lucy goes to Frank's unfinished house, which is a sad and pathetic thing to see. When Frank is in there and he's interacting with the ghosts, it doesn't seem so bad, but when it's empty and you just have her wandering around it and exploring it and they show you the various stages of how the house looks and what it's like, it's really sad and pathetic and you just want him to get out of there. Yeah. (laughs) It's just awful. I feel bad for Frank. The more I see that, I'm like, man, just let that life go. It was taken from you. Don't try and hold on to it by keeping what's left of this house that you can't even finish, man. This is just wrong. Well, I don't think he has any place to go. I mean, that's (laughs) what he has. (laughs) He's got this unfinished house. Yeah. And that's it. Yeah. Oh, that's even more sad and pathetic. See, like, I feel sorry for him, but at the same time, he's like a psychopath (laughs) and he's fucking bilking people out of money using their grief. And then he's also an extortionist with ghosts. Pay me this money or you're going to get haunted. The one thing about the house that is kind of bittersweet and sad is that we see that the one-time basketball court, which was apparently a bit of a cause for the argument that ended in his wife's death and the last thing that he and his wife communicated about, is now completely turned into a garden. It was nice to see he had like a pile of sod down and like he was growing a tree in the middle of it. And yeah, it's really, it was really pretty. A bunch of potted plants around there and everything. Mm-hmm. And of course... Like a lemon. It was in a lemon tree or something like that. Yeah. And then Ray being Ray is like, ah, perfectly good basketball court gone to pot. Like he does because he doesn't know, he doesn't even care. He's just mm-hmm. being Ray. Even in like death, he's a fucking nudge. <laughs> and this garden is totally a sad tribute to his long lost wife and how he feels and basically kind of gives you a little more character development where you see that a lot of what Frank is like now is based on his pain. So because he doesn't feel connected to the real world and all he has is ghosts, I'm pretty sure he's lashing out at the living because they have normal, happy lives that he'll never have again. So maybe that's what it is. Who knows? There is a call from Patricia's mother mother while Lucy is examining and looking through Frank's house, begging Frank for his help to get rid of the evil one from her home. You can hear the daughter screaming in the background while Patricia's mother is trying to beg Frank for help. And she needs some way to try and help Patricia with this ghost that is haunting her, what's going on in the house. Yeah, they. Um, she leaves a voicemail. Yeah, she calls into his, yeah. his answering machine. In answering the machine, yeah. yeah. And the gal hears it. Frank yeah. doesn't hear it. 
No, Frank's, it's on Frank's answering machine, but she's begging for Frank's help. And Lucy overhears it. And given Lucy's sympathy for Patricia, believing that Patricia just fell for the wrong guy and that Patricia's actually innocent, she's been forced into all of this, and that the mother has been punishing her for the horrible thing that happened ages and ages ago and won't let her live her life. I think that's kind of why Lucy ends up taking off another attempt to try and help Patricia. Do you think that that may be why Lucy headed there that because of that call? She thinks maybe she can do something? Yeah, yeah. When they get there, Ray ends up seeing the entirety of the house is all twisted and looking like a hell house of some sort. It almost looks like a hell mouth and the house itself looks like it's alive with some kind of weird evil spiritual energy. Yeah, it's all like moving around and something's something's not right. (laughs) It's ghostly and evil. He is terrified of it and Lucy goes in even though he tries to stop her and so Ray is just kind of standing on the outside terrified of the house and unable to stop as Lucy goes in she ends up finding Patricia and that leads to our next clip. It's your mother isn't it? Your mother's the one who's been hurting you. She needs help. She, she's delusional Patricia. Y- you can't go on like this. You don't understand. No! My father killed himself after the murders. Mother says it was my fault so I have to keep his ashes in my room. Oh my god. She says I'm evil, just like Johnny. Come with me to Mother's room. This isn't you. This this isn't who you are now. It it was Johnny. He went crazy. I couldn't get away from him. I thought he was going to kill me. Patricia, you have to get out of this house. You can start over. It's Mother on my side. Please, I'll take her to the kitchen. You speak out later. What are you doing in my room? I thought I heard a noise. I'll make you some coffee, Mother. Mother! Coffee's ready. Lucy, go! Frank! Uh, thank you, deputy. Just call me when you're done, Doc. Yes, Frank. Frank, listen to me. I found your knife. It was hidden in old Lady Bradley's closet. She's crazy, Frank. You have me. You're a good person, Frank. Don't do this. Please don't do this. Jesus, do you think that you're the only person who's ever lost somebody? You walk around like you don't have any feelings, but the truth is that you're just scared. God damn it. Why are you doing this? What are you afraid of, Frank? I don't want to hurt you, Lucy. Oh, that's crap. Don't give me that. Look at me. No, uh uh-uh. No, I'd be outside. This shit is like walking in on your parents. Oh, right, right. Yeah, I'll just be outside. I'll just... What is it, Frank? Okay, so Frank couldn't see because he wasn't believing, and then Lucy coming in and talking him and giving that uh, kick-in-the-ass pep talk that she does and gets him out of the mindset that Dammers had him in to make him all suicidal and depressed and everything goes away. And so she embraces him and they hug, and then he starts seeing the ghosts again, or his, his pals, Stuart and Cyrus. When they are removing back from that embrace, that's when he sees that Lucy is now marked with a 41 on her forehead. And during the clip is the exit of Ray from the film, he gets his face torn off by the Reaper ghost character that's living in that house, and then the husk of the ghost body, the ectoplasmic stuff, is then tossed on top of Lucy's car. Oh, yeah. (laughs) All of that takes place within that clip. Now, here's another thing about the whole physics of being a ghost. We see other ghosts get destroyed by this Reaper character, but then they aren't there at the end of the film in the afterlife as uh, whenever Frank gets there. Like, you never see Ray again after he gets destroyed. The judge never shows up at the end of the movie whenever he gets destroyed. Whatever's going 
going on with him. You would think that that Reese Myers lady should at least be there to apologize to Frank for not understanding what was happening and that he was trying to save her. Well, is one heaven and one hell? Well, yeah, one goes to hell and one goes to heaven. I mean, there is oh. there is there is like a heaven and hell kind of dynamic there. So are all those other characters in hell? I think so. What did the judge do? I mean, he was a hanging judge, but why is he in hell? What, what what's wrong with the judge? I mean, I'm okay with Reese Myers being there, and Ray sure seems like he belongs in hell. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sure the judge did something. He belongs in hell. Well, they don't call him the hanging judge for nothing. <laughs> I was just kind of curious how that works. The good place always makes me wonder, like, you know, how do you accue points and uh, what happens in the afterlife <laughs> for some of these people? Yeah. And why didn't we save at the end of the film? All right. So she's been marked by the Reaper and Frank's ghost pals end up saving her and fighting off the Reaper as he comes in to try and crush her heart. This is a really interesting sequence because they're locked inside a jail and they can't get in. But the ghost can cross through the jail cell walls and so can that Reaper ghost like character. So they're moving back and forth with all of this battle and... And Frank tells her to just calmly call for the guard. And as soon as she does, he ends up kicking the door and knocking the guard out. So Lucy is basically helping Frank escape here. And also at the same time, Frank is trying to help Lucy get away from this Reaper who's out there to try and kill her. And on their way out, Stuart thinks that they got the Reaper taken care of. And he ends up getting stabbed through the top of the head with the scythe from the Reaper. And then he deflates. Oh, yeah. And then the Reaper reaches in and you see that like soul light or whatever it is. And he crushes it. And you Mm -hmm. think you would think that Stuart is just completely gone and that's it you don't get to see him and then that like that's death for the dead like there's no more afterlife for you at all because even your soul can be taught like terminated that way I don't know Lucy ends up tricking Dammers who goes to hold Frank with a gun and keep him from escaping she tricks him and then starts spraying him with a fire extinguisher and while he's on the ground Frank kicks him and then all of a sudden Dammers gun just comes flying up out of the smoke or, or the dust from the fire extinguisher right after he kicks him. I don't know how that works, but it was funny. Yeah. It doesn't matter if it makes sense. It's just funny. So Frank now has Dammers gun and then they go to run off. And just as they're getting ready to leave, the Reaper comes for Lucy again. But this time Cyrus ends up fighting with the Reaper. And you actually see the Reaper reaching inside of Cyrus's like chest area and he's begging Frank to run while he's starting to be destroyed there as well. Killed or destroyed or however you want to phrase it for a ghost. Frank leads Lucy through the various winding pathways of all these various garage areas of the police barracks and then out to a back alley where they kind of look like they're caught and they're just kind of stuck there. Frank decides that he's going to kill himself because it's the only way that he can defend her from the Reaper, but Lucy decides to use another way and tries to stop him from shooting himself in the head and she does. They cut away from that and we see a new technique to give Frank an quote-unquote out-of-body experience as he referred to it, which he was basically just going to kill himself. She uses some drugs in a freezer. So she shoots him up with something to slow his heart rate and then puts him into a freezer to basically preserve him, but then basically simulate death. So he's going to get a near-death experience this way. Frank slips away from what Lucy says he has 20 minutes before permanent tissue damage could set in. And so right as she does this, Dammer shows up and kidnaps Lucy, leaving Frank in the freezer and putting him in serious risk of a premature and permanent death. Frank ignores the afterlife tunnel which he probably should do because he doesn't want to be permanently dead. And Dammers takes Lucy and puts her into a cop car. We then see him sit on a hemorrhoid donut in the police car. And when Lucy starts screaming, that's when he blares the music that was Sonic Youth's cover of the Carpenter's Superstar to drown her out. And so he can take her to the local cemetery in the car as well. Well, 
Frank is fighting with the Reaper to protect her on top of the car as they're driving past back and forth. This is a really great sequence. Yeah, it was. Do you find any other action sequence in the film that you enjoy more than the Reaper fighting with Frank while she's trying to figure a way to get out in that? Um. I like when they're at the hospital. Oh, at, and at the end? Are, yeah, cutting back and forth between. Okay, but the way they set it up here and then they deliver it at the end, you think the hospital stuff is better? Yeah, yeah. Okay, well, we'll talk about that more when we get there then because I really enjoy this one a little bit more. But that actually leads, when they get to the cemetery, to our next clip. I find cemeteries very restful places, don't you? Turn this car around and take me back. I intend to, Mrs. Lenski. In exactly... 11 hours time. Son of a bitch! I knew Charlie. Spawn Ranch, 1969. First assignment. I was the family's sex slave for six months. Six months in the service of my country. Disguised as a filthy shippy! I want out! Let me out of here! My body is a roadmap of pain. 1974. Children of Lucifer. Three years undercover. Drinking goat's blood. 1981. I infiltrated the cult of the dead. I was involved in ritualistic cannibalism. In orgiastic dances reaching painful thresholds of intense physical eroticism. I have withstood excruciating pain, but I will not be broken. I have suffered for my country, Lucy, but pain has its reward. The power of the mind is absolute. Frank, Frank, is that you? I'm doing this? I'm doing this? I'm making the car move with the power of my mind? Yes! Gobble teleplasmic shit. Arlie Emery's uh, drill sergeant character from, I mean, that's, it's basically, they're just basically taking the drill sergeant character after he died in full metal jacket and they put him into this movie. Like that's his ghost and that's what he does. Yeah. <laughs> that's really funny. I, that's part of the, the humor that's in this film that I really like. I like that you can, he changes like outfits. Yeah. If he needs to be able to shoot or whatever, then he turns into like wartime and he has like two M60s, one yeah. in each hand. When he wants to punch Frank, he has the boxing outfit on. Right, right. And when he wants to block Frank's punch, he has like riot gear on for some reason. <laughs> yeah, it's really cool that they give him all of these different transformation things that they do. The end of the clip leads to an amazing battle of Frank versus the Reaper and Lucy fighting to get back to save Frank from the permanent damage and death that we were talking about. I really like the sequence where she's fighting to get away from Danvers on one side of the car and on top of the car, Frank has the guns from the drill sergeant and he's blowing away the, the Reaper and he just keeps firing and firing and firing and pieces of the Reaper are being shot off. Yeah, that's pretty cool. And the whole time, like, you have these two different worlds where one's in the afterlife and they have the afterlife people can see the living, but the living can't see the afterlife, so they have no idea what's going on there. It's just really cool, like, multi-layer, multiverse kind of weird thing going on that I really dug. And I just like that sequence. And also, firing lots of guns is always cool. <laughs> 
but Lucy ends up stealing the cop car and drives off to try and go save Frank. It is revealed that it is in fact Johnny Bartlett who has been the Reaper this entire time. Surprising no one who has probably seen some of the trailers that show Johnny Bartlett as a ghost. Spoiler. <laughs> that he was able to escape hell in some way, shape, or form after he was electrocuted to continue his killing spree and he is now up to 40 people intending to have Lucy be 41. And it's in just this town that this is taking place. And we even see what the person who thought he was the last victim from the hospital, who still has the 12 carved into his head, he wants to go up and shake Frank's hand for finally doling out some justice to Johnny Bartlett for blowing him away and what they think is destroying the ghost. But that's when Johnny points out he couldn't be more wrong, could he, Frank, that he's up to 40 now. That whole sequence where he's like tossing Bartlett's head against, the, he's like smacking the piece of his ghost head that's left against the grave until he transforms from a skull of a yeah. reaper to his oily looking face. And that CG for the oil stuff was a little ropey too. I didn't think that looked that great. All right. Yeah, the other ghost stuff is much better. I just think that the, the computer generated stuff stuff wasn't quite there in the 90s but i've seen much worse cg in movies around this time so like lord of illusions <laughs> some of that stuff was yeah, pretty bad yeah. in that the cg in that was pretty bad in spots all right so frank is about to destroy bartlett permanently he ends up yanking the uh, scythe that we were talking about up out of the oily black slick whenever they go underground to battle and he ends up doing the whole switchblade scythe thing really want one of those no what it'll fit in the office <laughs> no i can't have a switchblade scythe no <laughs> Damn it. <laughs> There's no need for that. <laughs> there is every need for that. What if I need to mow down stuff, but I need a collapsible scythe to do it with? Like what? What would you need one for? Uh, To open up a box of tissues? Murder. Murder. <laughs> And yes, to open up a box of tissues. Why not? I'll use big blades for anything. I don't care. You're ridiculous. <laughs> Just as he's about to kill Johnny Bartlett, he is zapped back to his body and his life, which is really interesting. The first one you see, there's like a blast of uh, white light whenever the first spark hits and it kind of pulls Frank back for a moment. Yeah. And then the second one yanks him out of out of that whole ghostly area where his spirit was. And then you just kind of like they cut to his body when he's covered in ice. I thought that was a really cool sequence the way they did that. Yeah, I like that one too. And he is brought back by Lucy and the doctor who actually runs the clinic. Something tells me Lucy's not going to have a job after this evening because of what she just did here. Oh, I think she still does. Yeah, but do you think that doctor would fire her because she works for him? They're partners, yeah, but she but works for him. He was helping her. So obviously he... Maybe she can explain her way out of it, but this is some weird stuff that you just shouldn't be doing in a medical clinic. Mm, you know, tomato, <laughs> tomato. Lucy ends up thinking that Patricia is in danger and that she is completely innocent of everything that's going on. So she runs off to save her at Frank's behest. And this leads to our penultimate clip. Patricia, listen to me. We have to get out of here. Patricia never leaves the house. I'm sorry, Mrs. Bradley, but she's coming with me. You have no right. She's my daughter. Get upstairs. No! Look, this is gonna stop now. What are you talking about? Why do you have Frank Bannister's knife in your closet? You've been in my room! Mother! Patricia! Mother wants to go to the police now. No, she'll be down in a few minutes. No, Patricia, we have to go now. It's, it's just not safe here. Johnny Bartlett's back. I know. He visits me at night. I don't know why he comes. He torments me. Why has he come? Am I being punished? Patricia, please, let's... I want to kill her now, Patty. That'll give us 41. That's eight Claire Casey. Another nine with a broken Bundy's record. You wait to see old Dad's face when he hears the news. Yes. What? I'm sorry. We really should wait for Mother. And that asswipe psychic nearly ruined it for us tonight, Patty. He made us look stupid. You're going to be okay, Patricia. 
Everything's gonna be all right. Shut up. That Russian cannibal creeps running around saying he did 50 plus. That reflects badly on the both of us, Patty. This record should be held by an American. I quite agree. You can come stay with me if, if you like. I'm gonna kill him now, baby. I'd like that. I'll just get my coat. Patronizing do-go, bitch. Oh, Patricia, you kill her. I'll watch. Oh, Patty. Mrs. Bradley, are you coming with us? So she goes to check in on Mrs. Bradley to find her brutally murdered. And how about that weird sex and murder thing that uh, Patricia and Johnny have going on where like he's getting stabbed by her. He's like ghostly stabbed and she's getting off on it and he's getting off on it. Yeah. They have this really weird like murder, sex, death, gruesome kind of weird relationship thing going on that they cut a lot of that out of the theatrical version of the film and the stuff that's in the director's cut makes their relationship even more disturbing. I was to say, I don't really ever remember that part. I think I remember her stabbing him once during the, the normal one. No, I don't think so. I think they take all of that out because he no, shows right. her the weapons. He's like, you kill her, I'll watch. And then they they move on oh. from there. Yeah, we'll have yeah, to... She stabbed him like 20 times. <laughs> She's really just jamming the knife like, in get there. a room. <laughs> they had a room. They were in the kitchen. That was their room that they were in for that moment. <laughs> so she did carve a number in her mom's forehead, right? I don't know if she carved a mom- number in her mom's forehead, but I know that she's been more of a willing participant than anyone even knew. Yeah. And that she's just as involved with the killings as what Johnny was. With that, we see Patricia repeatedly attempts to kill Lucy whenever Lucy finds the dead mother there in the bed first with the knife and she's stabbing and stabbing and stabbing and then lucy gets out of the room and then ends up somehow locking patricia in the room with her dead mother but her mother keeps a shotgun in there so then she takes out the shotgun and starts blowing out the door and goes after lucy with the shotgun frank shows up and helps her fight off johnny the ghost who is possessing carpets and paintings and everything like that my thought was that johnny hasn't gotten the strength enough to turn into the reaper character after the battle that he had with Frank. I think Frank took away that ability to pretend to be the Reaper and now he has to act like a regular ghost and he has to possess things and haunt them. He doesn't have the power that he once had. Oh, yeah. Because, I mean, he almost died. Like... Right. And also, Frank ripped that Reaper, like, scythe from him, that really badass switchblade scythe that I want. No. <laughs> yeah, I, I can that. Yeah, that's just my thought that that's what's going on. They don't really establish that in the film. They just kind of, like, let you fill in the blanks on your own. But that's my thought as to why we see Johnny as is. And also, after he's revealed to be Johnny, why make him look like a Reaper ever again? Right. Well, there's no point to that. Frank grabs a painting that is possessed by Johnny and smashes it. This does some serious damage and... I guess because he's so weakened, as we were talking about earlier, he ends up returning to his ashes in the urn, which was told to Lucy that Patricia has to keep her father's ashes, but it turns out it's Johnny's ashes that she's been keeping, which Frank then decides that these ashes need to be taken to holy ground because there's always a light tunnel at holy ground for some reason or a church or something like that. And I guess the chapel at the old hospital where all the deaths took place is still there. So they decide they're going to go to the abandoned hospital nearby. That's where they dart off. The entire time, they are being pursued by Patricia and Frank has visions of the killing spree which happened in the 60s as he's working his way through the hospital. I can see why you like this stuff because he's dealing with the past where he's having those psychic visions that are kind of helping him but at the same time they're hindering him. Yeah, yeah. Because he's in danger and he can't see the danger in front of him because he's seeing the past. Right. Yeah, but also at the same time they're really filling in the rest of the story for us as to what happened in the hospital that day. Mm -hmm. And it really does hurt their ability to 
to be able to hide because he keeps having visions and he can't really judge of what's going on and what's real. But at one point, it does tell him where the chapel is. He learns at it from having that vision that it's on the fourth floor. It's a thrilling sequence for sure. I don't want to go through every little piece of what's happening in that because it's a really fun cat and mouse with the flashbacks. And really, guys, you should see this. For this sequence alone, you should watch this movie. Yeah. Definitely. Uh, Dammers ends up showing up and gets mixed in on all of this, trying to get after Frank. And then we see Patricia is way more involved with the murders than what we had previously thought in this film. We actually see her actively killing people in bed with a shotgun in these visions. She's got that double barrel shotgun in the history in the 60s, and she's shooting people left and right and then carving numbers into their head. And Johnny even comes up behind her and starts having that weird sex play thing that they do. Yeah. Dammers ends up grabbing Lucy again and... He releases Bartlett's ashes after they were given to Frank to place on holy ground. So basically, this is what happens. Frank tries to bust into the church. He knocks over a pedestal thing, catches the statue of the Virgin Mary, but the pedestal falls over, launches the ashes through the air, which Danvers ends up grabbing. Danvers, being an asshole, says, under no circumstances should these be ashes be released. And they need to get to holy ground. Is that right? And then he dumps it, releasing Johnny. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but he, he may be an asshole, but he's an asshole with an Uzi. I guess. So. <laughs> kind of hard to argue with anyone with an Uzi, regardless of whether or not they're an asshole. <laughs> Which is why I need an Uzi. Yeah. I do? No. Oh. <laughs> he dumps the ashes out and then he shoots at Frank and he's trying to kill Frank. Frank ends up stuck in between Dammers and Patricia. Patricia's bearing down on him with the shotgun and Dammers has the Uzi and he's trying to make Frank turn around so he doesn't have to shoot him in the back. So what Frank does is he steps into the hole in the floor to fall backwards and times it perfectly with the shot that Patricia fires to try and shoot him in the head and she ends up blowing off Dammers' head instead. That is an incredible sequence. That's probably my favorite thing in the film where his head gets blown off. The CG for his head being blown off is ropey but his ghost face looking all confused underneath with little bits of neck gore is always funny. Yeah. Yeah. I heard that they were going to do a shot to the chest that was going to kill Dammers, but the film was getting an R rating no matter what they did. So they decided to go in and do that head exploding thing for the R. Since they're like, we have an R rating anyway, let's just damp it up. Yeah. I think that works really well. I, I don't know the film would be the same if he doesn't get his head blown off like that with that stupid look on his face. You know, I just don't think it would work if he just gets shot in the chest. Right. I don't know. You really like that part. You laughed pretty hard. <laughs> it's always funny when someone gets their head blown off. <laughs> always. <laughs> All right, so Frank falls through the floor with this move, and he falls several floors down to what looks like the basement and the morgue area, and Patricia tries to shoot Lucy, but Lucy then uses the elevator to go back down after she's been stuck, and then we see a flashback of Johnny and Patricia having some kind of weird sexy time in the morgue. It looks like they like to play in the blood of fresh corpses. Yeah, they were all bloody. Yeah, and they're rolling around on the roller things that they put the bodies on to be prepared in this hospital morgue. Yeah, that's... um. That's that's a little and she odd. she was like pretending to be scared. Like, yeah. it was strange. So the thing that we that, see... Was that, was that in the original? No, this stuff is okay. all extended. Yeah. So that whole chase sequence at the beginning where she's running and, oh no, don't get me, don't get me, you know, and like he's choking her and all of that kind of mm -hmm. stuff. That's like this weird sex play that they like to do where she runs and she's trying to play innocent and coy and he gets to be the big bad wolf that's hunting her down. That's kind of like this weird sex.
sex play that they like to do. Yeah. And it's even creepier because it ends in a morgue with them rolling around in fresh cadaver blood. And I mean, I'm just jealous, I guess. Oh, boy. Patricia finds Frank and Lucy. Frank has a memory breakthrough of Patricia and Johnny actually killing his wife. She is the one who cuts the 13 in his wife's head after she dies. So we know for sure what's going on here that at some point in time, shortly before Frank's wife was killed, that's whenever Johnny gets back and that's whenever Patricia was let loose. We kind of get that blank filled in here. And so Frank can see the other side because he witnessed them murdering his wife. And that tragedy, that trauma has left him open to receiving all of these signals of the afterlife and all of that kind of stuff with the ghosts. But at the same time, he's been blocking that memory out this whole time, which is what's made him this miserable con man that he is. Yep. All right. So Patricia then strangles Frank basically to death as Lucy is forced to watch and she's the actress who plays Lucy in this is quite good at that that look of tragedy and the crying and screaming when she watches Frank die like that wrenches my heart every time to watch her like no Frank you know that mm-hmm. that sequence really breaks your heart they start picking out a weapon together to try and kill Lucy with and them eroticizing murder is really bizarre. (laughs) It's bizarre to see this side of it. Frank's ghost ends up popping up after Patricia grabs the pickaxe that they're going to use and says that she's in the mood for a little vivisection. And I don't know what else to call this, but he ghost soul rips Patricia right out of her body. Yeah, he does. He just yanks her soul right out of her body. Soul ripping is awesome. I wish I had that power. I don't know. I don't know what to say about that. You or, would. You wouldn't want me to have soul no, ripping powers. No. I would create religions. Like people would be worried about the Hagelflas. Oh boy. <laughs> you have to watch Dead Like Me to get that reference, folks. So get out there and find season one and two. It's out there. And Dead Like Me is awesome. Yeah. <laughs> All right, so he soul rips her and drags her off into the afterlife through the tunnel with him, which tricks Johnny into following along into the tunnel as well. You think that would be obvious what Frank is doing, and they're too stupid to realize it. There's a bunch of dialogue that's going on here, and that is our final clip. See you later, Frank. We gotcha. <laughs> We're going back down to get us some more. <laughs> Yo, Frank, how's it going? <laughs> Bye, Frank. Get back, Frank. Yeah. This isn't going to be pleasant. Ah, the old express bus to hell. No lines, no wait. It's really something, isn't it? Excellent libraries. Premium cigars. And of course, the honeys. Yeah, about that. Stu's a regular chick magnet up here. <laughs> Hello, Frank. It's time to go home. I am home. Uh, no. Now, see, the authorities have informed us that it's just not your time. Start living, dude. Be happy. Frank! There's something I have to tell you. Yeah? Sorry to interrupt you folks. It's all right. Well, Frank, what do you know about Ouija boards? Not a lot. I found a whole stack of them up at the Bradley house. It looks like Patricia just got herself a direct line to her dead boyfriend as soon as she was released five years ago. It seems like the old lady, when she got wind of Patricia's involvement in, well, in your wife's death, and she just kept the girl sedated. She just couldn't stop Bartlett, though. Nice epilogue, Walt. It's well delivered. Frank, just one other little thing. Uh Uh-huh. I got a whole bucket load of vacation time coming to me, and I thought, you know, I thought you and I could collaborate on a book about all this. It could be my ticket off the force. That's not really my area. You know, if you're looking for a collaborator, how about your guardian angel over there? (laughs) You got me, Frank. I got you, Walt. I'll see you, Frank. <laughs> Bye-bye. <laughs> Boy, that damn he sure looks pissed. Yeah. Well, 
Sometimes, Frank, you see, when you go through a traumatic experience, it kind of alters your perception. Okay, so we actually see there at the end of the clip that the new couple of Frank and Lucy are together and happy. They're picnicking while Frank's house that was remaining unfinished is being bulldozed and destroyed. Frank and Lucy are now both ghost psychics, as we have seen at the end of the clip there. And they are happy together, and they even play around as Dammers is haunting the sheriff. And the way that they're playing is Lucy pretends to be a reaper, which still freaks Frank out after the trauma that he's had. So that's pretty harsh, Lucy. Yeah, yeah, that's kind of mean. (laughs) But it's supposed to be played up for fun, kids, so roll credits. Okay, so you've watched this director's cut a few times now, but you're so like ingrained with the previous version that I don't think you really notice a lot of the 14 extra minutes that they put in here. There's a few things you do notice that you know for sure are different, but then there's some other stuff that you just kind of always accepted as there. Yeah, I guess so. Do you prefer the director's cut now, or do you think you'd rather just watch the theatrical cut because that's the one that you're so much used to? Um, I don't think it really matters, really. It's only 14 extra minutes. Um, Yeah, it's like an hour and 46 minutes or two hours, basically, is the yeah. difference. Um, No, I don't mind it. Yeah, I like it, and I actually prefer the director's cut because you get a little bit more of the story fleshed out you get more of the character development you get a lot more of john ashton's the hanging judge yeah (laughs) mighty fine woman good teeth Good bone structure. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, you know, you get a little bit more of the characters. You get more character development. You get more backstory with Frank. You get to see more about what's going on. But, I mean, Frank Bannister's character, even before he becomes a ghost whisperer, is a real asshole. The stuff that he does with his wife, you can tell, you know, he's like day drinking and pouring a basketball court for himself and not telling her about it. Yeah, he wasn't a good dude. And then he drives. He's a fucking menace in the town. I mean, I know he's unhappy and he hates life, but he drives like a fucking menace. He's running over shit. He's destroying things. He's an extortionist with ghosts and all sorts of stuff like that. He's not a hero. Yeah. It's just that everybody else in the movie is, well, all the other bad characters are so much worse that they rely on Frank. I don't think Lucy should end up with Frank. (laughs) Um, You know, it's kind of hard. Like, you only see him fighting with his wife that one time. Yeah. So. Well, and he clearly does adore his wife. That's another issue that I have too. Like when they're in heaven. Yeah. Or whatever that's supposed to be. It's supposed to be like the good side of the afterlife. He sees his wife and she's like, hi, Frank, just be happy. If I get to see you again, even if we're just spirits and I've been missing you all along, like what Frank has been, there's no way they're going to keep me from at least running over to you to give you a hug or something, you know? Well, he was getting pulled down, honey. I don't think he would have had a choice. Well, he was being dragged away by the other ghosts, but I guarantee you I would have been fighting it. Yeah. <laughs> I think they should have had something in there like to where he should have at least said goodbye to his previous wife. That felt so rushed. You know what it felt like? It felt like it was shoehorned in and then the ending of it where Frank gets to come back to Earth was also shoehorned in. Yeah, maybe. And they also wanted to show you the Chai McBride's ghosts and uh, of uh, Cyrus and then Stuart, that ghost. They're both there and they're happy even though that they were, you know, soul crushed. But we don't get to see what happens to Ray. We don't get to see what happens to the hanging judge. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, it's like, how does the after like work like work i mean you know if you're a ghost and your emanation on earth your spirit is destroyed there then do you automatically go into the part of the afterlife you're supposed to be in or is it because we're supposed to care about Stuart and cyrus that we get to see them happy and in heaven even though they were probably destroyed to where even their spirits don't exist anymore well just because you don't see them maybe they're just there for frank you know what i mean well yeah it would make sense that they were close with frank but like it really bugs me that we don't know what happened with the hanging judge and i'm a little worried he's in hell yeah i don't really care too often much honey sorry 
<laughs> well, let's look at it this way. If the hanging judge is in hell, at least I'll get to hang out with him. Oh, boy. <laughs> All right. Do you have anything else you want to say about the movie? You just want to be done so we can have dinner, huh? Um, yeah, I don't know if I have anything. You'll, watch you, it if you haven't seen it before, I guess. And why are you listening to this without watching it? <laughs> it's true. Do people watch movies before? There are plenty of people that actually don't watch the movies. They just well, listen to the episode and then they go back and watch the movies. Okay. That happens. I hope that they don't watch all the movies you guys watch. <laughs> <laughs> what, for their own sanity, yeah. you hope? <laughs> yeah. Because when I, I describe some of them to you, you're like, oh my God, what is wrong with you? Why did you buy that? Yeah. <laughs> oh, I love you. All right. But look. our movies that we cover are all good. Yeah, of course. I mean, they're usually going to be endorsed by you. That's how couples therapy works. It's something that you actually love, too. So yeah. if you're on the show, then you're going to endorse the movie, I hope. Right. I'm never going to have you on a show to talk about a movie that you would hate. I don't think that would work out. No. And I don't think our marriage would survive it. Well, you'd be doing it on your own. <laughs> if you hated the movie. Yeah. All right. Well, we're going to close out the show here. Obviously, there's no news or anything like that. But we've got a pretty lengthy show talking about the two-hour version of The Frighteners anyway. So going to take one last break here. We're going to play a promo for another podcast we'll have a little bit of music when we come back we will close out this show this is not a test this is the psychosemantic podcast announcing the commencement of the annual purge sanctioned by the u.s government weapons of class four and lower have been authorized for use during the purge all other weapons are restricted government officials of ranking 10 have been granted immunity from the purge a few days ago, I called the news the enemy of the people, and they are. They are the enemy of the people. We have Ben Jacobs, that's the guardian reporter, body slammed tonight by the Republican candidate Greg Gianforte. Living with a six-year-old. I'm not able to uh, be rushed this fast. It makes me nervous. I had this one big final shift. Well, then you two learned a very important lesson today. Cops don't help. It's a Now is not the time for fear. That comes later. Can you fly, Bobby? In the 20th century, the Senate voted on seven Supreme Court nominees during election years, and it approved all but one. So just to, just to put a button on this, are you ruling it out 100%? Yeah. Are you crazy? Is that your problem? Politics, movies, political movies, the Psychosemantic Podcast, better known as the Psychosemanticast.
Okay, so that is the cover of Don't Fear the Reaper that is in the version of the Frighteners that we were just discussing. Not necessarily my favorite cover of that and not necessarily my favorite version. It's shocking lack of cowbell. (laughs) I have a fever and the only prescription is more cowbell. I had to make a reference to that. Somebody out there would expect some kind of that. And my Christopher Walken is terrible, so I'm not even going to do the impression. I was going to say, you didn't even try. Well, I'm not very good at it, you see. So why should I do a Christopher Walken if I suck? All right, all right. It's too late. Stop now, it, stop it. I'm going to do the rest of the show this way because you encouraged me to do my terrible Christopher Walken impersonation. I'm so sorry. <laughs> no, you're not. You're happy because you made me sound like an idiot. All right, folks, you can support the show while you support the show or just buy something and keep me from ever doing my Christopher Walken again. Teespring.com forward slash stores forward slash cinema dash psyops. You can find us on our main landing and or launching page for our flagship network of Legion Podcasts. We are legionpodcast.com forward slash cinema dash psyops we are on the facebook's where you can find our group where you can post various alternative photography funny ass memes weird crazy shit psyop news photos that you've made to make matt look like an idiot whatever you want to do it's totally fine our cinema psyops group as long as it meets facebook standards because i'm not going to fight for you if you get booted that's just not going to happen you can find me on facebook i am court psyops you can find matt on facebook he is matt psyop you could probably find my wife on facebook but leave her the hell alone she's a busy lady yeah I'm not on there. <laughs> she wants to be left alone. You can email feedback to me, cinemasyopscourt at gmail.com, and tell me you want to have more couples therapies episodes show up, because that's probably the only way I'm going to convince the wife to keep doing these. Yeah, nobody likes me. <laughs> Everybody loves you. They, no. they love having you on this show. That's not true. And actually, I don't care if anybody else likes you or not, because I love you. Oh, thanks, buddy. You can tweet a couple of tweets to a couple of twats. I'm at court underscore psyop, and Matt is at psyop Matt. You can also email feedback to Matt, psyopmatt at gmail.com. Tell him to quit the fucking show and let Court do the show with his wife full time. No, don't do that. <laughs> no, Pep's far too busy for that. <laughs> I have to pretty much blackmail you to get you in the studio with me ever. You do. Yeah, it's that's how Christmas. it works. <laughs> yeah. how much I love you. <laughs> Aw. We're going to go ahead and finish up this show here and have our Christmas meal of steak, shrimp, and crab cakes. Woo! Delicious. And so while you're out there celebrating your own holidays with your family and friends and enjoying your own holiday meals, kick the fuck out of this weekend. Make it your bitch. Bye. Bye.